friend of mine, if you haven't met me before, I'm one of the pastors at, at Southern Grace Church in Moronga. It's such a blessing to, to be here with you guys today and be able to serve you, even in a small way, by uh, opening up God's Word together. You know, um, while Riley's away and um, I'm here without him to defend himself, um, I get a great opportunity to speak a little bit about Riley too. And I just want to say, you know, Riley isn't just one of my closest friends, because he is. He's a man that, you know, for Charlotte and I, that we, we, we deeply love him. And the reason is, it's not just that Riley's a guy with a lot of gifts, and because he is, but what you see is what you get with Riley. He's a guy who really loves the Lord, and um, you guys are so blessed to have him. We are still jealous in, in some ways. Some tinge of regret for sending him out just because we miss him. Um, but so good to be able to be here with you guys. You know, we love you guys more than any other church outside of Southern Grace Church, Warunga. And so we pray for you guys often, and it's so good to see, you know, a lot of new faces that I don't think I've met before, so I'd love to say hi and, and have, a, like, an awkward COVID-style conversation with you, go in for the hug and then see you're uncomfortable with that, and then pull back, and, yeah, you know, so. Um, we're going to be looking at something that you probably weren't expecting today, because I wasn't expecting it either, um, and that is Colossians chapter 3. And we're going to be looking at a topic that I think is so important for us as Aussies, and that is thankfulness. Um, this was actually part of a two-part series um, I preached in our church a few weeks back. Uh, now, I'm not coming back next week. Uh, you're probably relieved about that. Um, well, that I'm aware of, because this week's shown anything's possible. Um, but if you are interested in finding the second half of, of this kind of little mini-series on thankfulness, you can always jump onto the Wurunga website. I'm sure someone will post that uh, online and, and um, help you with that as well, um, so you can see the second half of this. So we're going to dive in and read God's Word. We're going to pray for us, and then uh, dive into this afternoon's message. So Colossians chapter 3, I'm going to read from verse 15 down through to... Verse 17. Guys, this is God's word to us today, so let's receive it as that. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called, in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Would you pray with me? Lord God, how can we thank you enough this moment to think that wretched selfish sinful people who are lost and helpless following the prince of the paladies of the powers of the air could sit here together as one family as one body at the expense of the blood of our Lord Jesus. 
Oh God, we have so much to be thankful for. And Lord, as we come before your word and, and we try to just understand it a little bit, we try to just kind of understand a little bit more of what it means to be faithful to Jesus, we pray and ask, would you help us? We just soften our hearts to, to hear from you this afternoon, Lord, and be changed by your word that we could be that little bit more like him. So, Lord, I pray, would you help me? Help me preach this word faithfully, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to begin by reading an article from the Sydney Morning Herald, right? My favourite uh, newspaper. At least it was. I'm not a little bit more tabloid recently, but anyway. Um, and this article is entitled, Australians, Wingers and Warriors, by Michael Pascoe. Michael Pascoe writes the following. So, it's official. Australians have overtaken the Poms in the whinging stakes. And not content with being world champion whingers, we're working up our warring act as well. Never mind Australia being an island of great relative prosperity, calm and opportunity in a stormy sea of developed world recession and austerity, the spirit of Hanrahan is strong upon the land. Despite their higher unemployment, great, greater poverty, Miserable weather, inferior food, greater obesity, lousy beaches, lower life expectancy, warm sudsy beer, bleak economic prospects, and Coronation Street still being in production, Brits on average are more satisfied with their lives, more likely to think that said lives are worthwhile, and consider themselves happier and less anxious than the average Australian. Michael Pascoe goes on. An alternative view would be that the Poms simply don't know any better. Good heavens, they nearly all follow soccer, just for a start. You see, we've become fanatical travellers, punching way above our weight on international adventure and spending. We must be doing it with our eyes closed if we can't understand our privileged international position. Indeed, Michael Pascoe goes on, it's a symptom of how spoilt we've become that a regular international holiday is considered something of a necessity. Isn't that the case? You know, it's a funny article, isn't it? You know, talking about Aussies overtaking Brits and, you know, being greater whingers than the Poms. But it kind of has a ring of uncomfortable truth to it, doesn't it? Despite the uncertainty of COVID, we are one of the wealthiest, most privileged nations in the history of the world. More than that, of one of the most wealthiest, most privileged nations in the history of the world, we are one of the, if not, if not, in fact, we are the wealthiest city of that nation. You know, our nation is incredibly beautiful. I mean, you don't have to travel far from here to be in the Blue Mountains and look out on the beautiful valley and the Three Sisters from Tumba. It's absolutely stunning in its natural beauty. We're a nation that enjoys free healthcare, if you like. Uh, we're a nation that enjoys safety and freedom. You know, I remember a friend who just moved over from Brazil and us jogging down the street and he was looking around like a bit puzzled, like expecting something. And I just realized like, hey, you know, Rudy, you don't have to worry about anyone mugging you here. Like that just never happens. Uh, we live and enjoy safety and freedom. Even, even to gather like this, this afternoon. Education for all people. Transport that is, in many ways, superior to most countries in the world. 
And yet, despite all these truths about the things that we enjoy, we can find, as Australians, having a kind of critical spirit, a kind of complaining spirit, a kind of ungrateful spirit. You know, I was thinking about it uh, even just over the last few weeks, a little bit about my own personal pet peeves. And I thought you might be interested in, in a list of them. Uh, I have a neighbour who smokes on his balcony and the smoke comes all into my room. I mean, I've got a whole topic of neighbours' uh, pet peeves, by the way, so I just thought I'd, I'd start there. Uh, I've got another neighbour who uh, cooks like a cold barbecue, like outside and like, I don't know what it is, like uh, that he's cooking exactly, grilling or I don't know what they're, kebabs or something. And just all the coal smoke comes into my apartment all the time. Um, I've got a, a neighbour above me who installed illegally floorboards and like, I don't know what he's doing up there, but like tap dances <laughs> at night or something up there. Uh, the same neighbour who overflows and fills their pot plants so that all the water like gushes down onto my balcony. Um, the traffic on Pennant Hills Road, I mean, don't get me started on that. Bad parkers. Uh, slow parkers, or even just like nervous drivers in general, an absolute pet peeve. Um, people who fly down my street when I've got my indicator on, pulling out like I'm going to reverse park in a car parking spot and try to fly in front of me before I can begin to commence the reverse park. Uh, people who skip in front of me at the queue at Audi on the premise that they have one item but fail to disclose that that one item is actually a complicated return. Uh, motorbikes in perfectly good car parking spots. Um, these are all examples uh, of personal pet peeves. They're kind of a little bit funny, but they're kind of also examples of that kind of grumbling spirit that is so common here in Sydney. You know, here's a question that I want you guys to think about this afternoon. Here's a difficult question. Would those that know you best describe you as a thankful person? You know, here's the truth. I think most of us know that thankfulness is a good quality and something we should have as Christians. But I think we kind of have a tendency to go, that's not really that important, right? Well, in this message, I really want to take us to dive down and have a deeper look about what thankfulness is, what it really is, where it comes from, and why it matters. And in that second message that you can check out online if, you, if you've got the time to or you're interested in, we're gonna, in that message I take a deeper look at how we can actually grow to be more thankful as people as well. You see, thankfulness is actually meant to be one of the part, primary markers of what it means to be part of the people of God. More than that, the presence or absence of thankfulness is actually a great litmus test of the state of your spiritual health. And I'm going to show you why that's the truth uh, as we go through this message. You see, thankfulness is not a peripheral issue in the Christian life. It's actually one of vital importance. Uh, I've entitled this message, if you're a note taker, uh, True Thankfulness Part 1. And really, it, we're going to be understanding what thankfulness is. And I've really got one hope for us as we look at this topic of thankfulness. One thing they're going to be plugging away on all the time that kind of goes through all the three points that I have for us this afternoon. And that is this, that true thankfulness comes from having a true perspective. 
You see, thankfulness is actually a matter of perspective. And true thankfulness, not just the thankfulness we see in the world, true thankfulness comes from having a true perspective. And it's a true perspective across three different categories. The first being the most important, and the first thing we're going to spend the majority of the time, so don't freak out if it's like, you know, ages from now, I'm still on point one. Um, it's all good. Okay. Point number one, a true perspective about God. Clearly one of the most important encouragements Paul is trying to give in the letter to the Colossians is to be thankful. Um, in the passage I read before, I'll read it to you just briefly again, we actually see it three times, and we see it throughout the letter. Listen to this again. We'll just go over it quickly again. Colossians 3.15 Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you are indeed called, in one body, and be thankful. Verse 16 Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Thankfulness was so important to the Apostle Paul. And so to begin our conversation on true thankfulness, we first need to ask the question, well, what does it even mean? What does thankfulness even mean? What's it even about? You know, for most people, the idea of thankfulness, it's like, to be grateful, right? Um, you're expressing thanks for something, you know? It's kind of like keeping a, a list of nice things in your life that you feel thankful for. And you kind of don't even need to be a Christian to be thankful, right? In that kind of way. I mean, even just look at the preponderance of all the, how common the hashtag blessed is. You know, there's so many people out there, you know, just go to a homeware shop and you'll see blessed and thankful all over the place. Uh, if we read in the New Testament, the word that is most often translated in your Bibles as give thanks in our passage is a word in the Bible that's uh, in Greek is eucharisto. It's a word based on the root word charis, which means grace or unmerited kindness. It's also related to the Greek word kara, which means joy, to be joyful. So in the New Testament language, grace, thanksgiving, and joy are all related concepts. My definition is that thankfulness is a joyful response to receiving kindness. You know, as Christians, we should have this kind of special kind of thankfulness because we know God in and through the Lord Jesus. We've seen the amazing kindness that He's shown us at the foot of the cross, and that should absolutely floor us. Uh, Mary Moller, uh, in her excellent book, uh, Growing in Gratitude, says the following. She writes, Gratitude is a rich theological issue. The presence or absence of it in our lives is very telling. It truly is a big deal. I'm not talking about account your many blessings, namely one by one kind of gratitude to God. I'm talking about a deep sense of awe ingrained in our minds. I'm talking about an awareness in every waking moment of the glorious truth that the God of the universe is infinite in all His perfections and He loves us. I think that's so true. Gratitude, thankfulness, is actually a deep theological issue. It really shows where we're at. And it's talking about a deep kind of awe in relation to God, for who He is and what He's done for us in Christ. See, as those that have come to know Christ, we ought to live this incredible life in this incredible awe that we've come to know and be loved by the God of the universe. 
Just like Paul says earlier in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, he says the following. He says, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, how abounding in thanksgiving. I mean, that word translated as abounding, it means overflowing. It means excelling in thanksgiving. Paul's saying, as we live and follow Jesus, trusting in His grace, we're to be overflowing with thanksgiving. This genuine joy and gratefulness is meant to kind of mark all of our lives. But here's a tough question. Is that your experience? Is your experience of life one that you find yourself overflowing with thanksgiving? You know, maybe like many of us, you can kind of like remember this time in your life when that was true of you. Maybe when you were new to your faith and you were just so excited about Jesus and thankful for all you've done. But right now, if you're really honest with yourself, you're nowhere near there. I pray that as we examine these words, God would rekindle something of that same heart for Him, that thankfulness of heart. But here's an even tougher thing to think about. This call by Paul in Colossians 2, 6 to be overflowing with thanksgiving isn't even the most radical call from the New Testament towards thankfulness at all. I mean, check this one out from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16, Paul says the following. He says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I mean, what? Let's just think about that just for a moment. Give thanks in all circumstances? In all circumstances. That's God's will for my life? So, when I'm diagnosed with cancer, give thanks. When a dear, dear loved one of mine dies. Give thanks. When I lose my job, give thanks. When pandemic strikes, give thanks. When I'm ridiculed for my faith, give thanks. When my kids walk away from Christ, give thanks. When I'm ill and in pain, Give thanks. I mean, what? How can we possibly make any sense of this? Here's the truth. I'm not qualified to tell you how this is possible from my own personal experience. I'm actually an ungrateful person growing in thankfulness by the grace of God. I haven't suffered much at all in my life, at all. But I know someone who is qualified to explain this. And in fact, we need to actually hear from him to understand what he says 
and to really understand what true thankfulness is. You see, to understand true thankfulness, we actually need to sit with Jesus and his disciples during the Last Supper in the upper room. Luke, in his Luke, uh, Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 22, verse 17, describes this situation, uh, and I'm going to read a couple of verses for you. It says, Of the Lord Jesus, in that upper room, on that night that he was betrayed, it says, And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this, and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you, that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Since the Last Supper, and Jesus took the bread and the wine, and before sharing each of them, he stopped. And he gave thanks. I just want us to stop and think about the significance of what Jesus is doing in this moment. Stop and think with me for a moment what the bread and the wine symbolize. The wine symbolizes his blood that is about to be poured out. The bread symbolizes his body that was about to be crushed. See, Jesus is pausing to give thanks to God for his impending sacrificial death. He is pausing to give thanks to God for his upcoming humiliation, for his suffering, for his torture, for the wrath he's about to endure, for the worst suffering in the history of the universe that he is about to endure. He stops... And before he celebrates it with his disciples, he pauses to give thanks. I mean, how on earth could Jesus give thanks for that? The answer is Eucharisto. Charis. Grace. He looked at the bread and he looked at the wine and he saw that it was grace. He saw that it was the kindness of God. See, Jesus had such an intimate relationship with his Father in heaven. He was so close to him. He was so perfectly in tune with him that he knew that everything that comes from his Father's hand is purposed for good. And so the Lord Jesus could give thanks, even for the cross, because he intimately trusted his father, and he saw the gracious purpose of God. You know, Jonathan Edwards, the famous American theologian, calls this kind of gratitude, this kind of thankfulness, gracious gratitude. You see, there is a kind of thankfulness in the world that's more common. Uh, Edwards calls it natural gratitude. That's thankfulness for gifts received. You see, we're right to thank God for his good gifts to us. We're right to kind of count our blessings. But here's the truth. If there's no deeper foundation to it than this, strip away the gifts and there's no more thanksgiving. 
truth is, it's actually often how we relate to God. You know, uh, my wife Charlotte and I, we've been uh, married for about um, six years now. And uh, she's beautiful. I mean, I wish you guys could get to know her a bit more. I met her welcoming at the door, so guys, you know. <laughs> yep, it's great ministry. Um, anyway, so imagine the time like we're going to get married and stuff and um, I've bought a ring and I've paid a lot of money for it. I'm really excited. I'm nervously rehearsing my lines, preparing for the moment. We're going to ask her to, to, to marry me. And um, the moment comes and just imagine the scene and, you know, I uh, pop down on one knee and I pull open the, the box and reveal the ring and I ask her to, to, to marry me. And imagine if she takes the ring from the box and immediately turns away and goes, oh, yes, the ring. Oh, huh. beautiful ring, what I always wanted. Look how big it is. Excellent, the diamond and 24 karat gold. Wow. Very soft, very expensive. So good. Look at sparkle. I can't believe this is the beautiful, most Precious ring I have ever seen in, in my whole life. This is amazing, this ring. And yet never says a word of thankfulness to me. Wouldn't that be weird? Wouldn't that be, like, bizarre? I'll tell you how I would feel if that happened. I'd feel really disappointed. Because it's not about the ring. It's about our relationship. The ring is only ever meant to be a gift that's a symbol of what we have together. And to be obsessed with the ring, the gift, is to miss the whole point. Because it's about us. And yet, I believe that's a picture of how we so often relate to God. Marveling at the gifts and completely missing the giver. You see, true thankfulness gracious gratitude, it's actually all about relationship. It's grounded in a deep relationship with God and it's thankfulness, not for what He gives, but for who He is. In fact, gracious, gracious gratitude isn't interested in the gifts received, but the giver. His character, His love. It sees the glorious majesty and power and wisdom and goodness of God and it deeply trusts Him. It sees His love and grace and affection on the cross displayed. And it's amazed by it. And so when disease or suffering or pain or death or difficulty arise, it doesn't panic or complain. It trusts. It sees behind the dark cloud the smiling face of God. And it rejoices. And it gives thanks. You see, just as Jesus saw the greatest evil and suffering that ever would be and gave thanks, true thankfulness is not easily swayed because it's not based on circumstances, but trust in the person and work of God himself. Now, John Piper uh, puts it this way in, in, a, in a wonderful uh, quote of his. Um, it's John Piper, so you kind of got to brace yourself a little bit. Um, Piper says this, he says, God is not glorified if the foundation of our gratitude is the worth of the gift and not the excellency of the giver. If gratitude is not rooted in the beauty of God before the gift, 
it is probably disguised idolatry. May God grant us a heart to delight in Him for who He is, so that all our gratitude for His gifts will be the echo of our joy in the excellency of the giver. Isn't that so true? If gratitude isn't rooted in the beauty of who God is, it's probably just idolatry. May God give us that kind of heart. Well, here's the glorious truth. The true nature of God has been revealed to us in the person and work of Jesus who gave thanks in the upper room for the bread and the wine, who laid down his life for us. What a deep, abiding trust that ought to create in us. What an unshakable gratitude and joy we should have in light of that, no matter what this life brings. And that's point number one. True thankfulness comes from having a true perspective of God, that he is gracious, that he is loving, that he's kind, that he's sovereign, and that he's always working for our good. But not just a true perspective of God, also, point number two, a true perspective of ourselves as well. You see, the more I've kind of con contemplated my own struggle with thankfulness uh, over the past few weeks, the more I've realized that one of the biggest obstacles to thankfulness we face in my neighborhood, and, and I'm sure in this neighborhood as well, is actually entitlement. You see, an entitlement is something that is owed to you. You know, it's your right to have it. And living where I live in wealthy upper North Shore Sydney, um, or even by virtue of being Australian, we can have this increasingly long list of things we assume we deserve. Things like owning a home, or to be comfortable in life, to have a tertiary education, to be able to follow your desires, to have nice clothes, private health insurance, career of my choosing, fast internet, annual holidays, takeout coffee, reliable public transport, friends at school. Or even on a more basic level, to have food to eat, to have good health, to have a place to sleep, to be safe, or even to have running water. Though a significant portion of the people in this world don't even have access to those last basic few things, we can feel like we deserve them. More than that, we don't even think about deserving it. We just assume them. But to grow in true thankfulness towards God for who He is, we actually need to remove this cultural assumption of entitlement and consider who we really are from the Scriptures. You see, our sense of entitlement, our lack of gratitude, it goes all the way back, right back to the very beginning. In Genesis 3, verse 1, the third chapter of the Bible, uh, the writer of Genesis, Moses, says the following. He says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, Well, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. The serpent said to the woman, You'll not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. See, God had been so generous to the man and the woman in the garden. He'd given them an abundance of trees. More than that, He'd given them His very presence, His rule and His reign. And the lie of the serpent was, He's holding out on you. You deserve this. You see, ungratefulness led them to disobey God. 
You see, in the Bible, ungratefulness towards God is the mark of those who don't know God, those who are facing His judgment. Uh, in Romans chapter 1, verse 21, Paul writes the following of those that don't know God. He says, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were dark, and claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. One of the primary markers of those who are spiritually dead and do not know God is that they don't give thanks. Rather than thanking God, they glory in His gifts and in creation. Paul goes on, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Here's a beautiful truth, though. That was once your story. That was once, if you're a follower of Jesus, what you were like. You were once that way, thankless to God. You were once that way, condoning those who were not following God in what they were doing. You see, if you're following Jesus, we were all once part of that ungrateful humanity. Worshipping creatures, ignoring Creator, and yet Jesus paid in full on the cross the penalty we deserve. He raised us to new spiritual life through His Holy Spirit. He joined us to Himself forever, and He adopted us into this family. But God is so good. Well, what has that got to do with thankfulness? Well, here's the thing. If you can rightly see yourself that what you rightly deserve is punishment, what you rightly deserve is wrath, is death, but that God has been so richly merciful to you in Christ, every day is a blessing. Every day is abundantly more than what you deserve. You see, to see ourselves rightly apart from Christ, we only deserve punishment and death. We're entitled to nothing. We're not entitled to food or water or healthcare or 5G reception or holidays, let alone forgiveness, adoption, eternal life, reconciliation with God, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Every day, even our worst possible day is filled with undeserved blessings and mercies. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the great preacher, uh, famously said this. He said, As long as a man is alive and out of hell, he can't have any cause to complain. Isn't that true? One more time. As long as a man is alive and out of hell, he can't have any cause to complain. That's so true. That is a, a right perspective for those of us that know the Lord Jesus. You see, a right view of ourselves ought to bring thankfulness towards God for the wonderful grace He's lavished upon us. C.J. Mahaney has, has famously said, every day is better than I deserve. And that truth, that, that teaching radically changed my life about 11 years ago. And I believe by God's grace, He has used it to make me into a more thankful person. And you know what? As some Grace Church of Parramatta and El Runga, that's the kind of culture we want to have here. A culture founded in the teaching of Scripture that is blown away by the mercy of God towards us each and every day. You see, true thankfulness comes not just from having a true perspective of God, but also a true perspective of ourselves as 
well that we daily receive abundantly more than we deserve. But not just that, my third and final point, guys, a true perspective of others as well. A true perspective of God, a true perspective of ourselves, but also a true perspective on others. You see, the context of the call to thankfulness in our passage today is actually Paul appealing for the unity of the church. That's what he's doing. In verse 15, he says the following of our passage. He says this, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. The peace of Christ, the peacemaking work of Christ on the cross. Let it rule in your hearts. Let it be kind of the umpire, the abiding authority, the decisive factor in all of your thinking. You see, they've been called to be united as one body. And Paul is saying it's the peacemaking example of Jesus' rules in your midst, you're to be thankful. Why does Paul need to appeal to the Colossians to be unified and thankful? Well, the simple answer is they were tempted to be divided. And they were tempted to grumble and complain about others. See, it's so easy to look around at others within the Jesus community and be reminded of a long list of complaints. Disappointments. Maybe ways in which you've been overlooked. Or you felt unwelcome. Or you felt like you've been tolerated. Or things you'd hoped to be a part of that haven't eventuated. Maybe a long list of ways in which you've been offended. Harsh comments directed at you. Betrayal of confidence. Gossip, dishonesty, maybe just frustration. You're frustrated by someone's lack of commitment, by their slow progress in change, that they just seem unreliable and struggling to stick to their word. You see, every one of these observations about that other person might be true, but if that's all we see when we look around at this Jesus community, we don't have true perspective of others. You see, when Paul wrote his first letter to the Corinthians, he knew they were facing many challenges. I mean, here's just a few of them. There were factions and divisions. People were getting sloshed at communion. There was rank sexual immorality not just happening, it was being celebrated. There was worldliness. There were arrogant and divisive leaders. And people were even suing each other, just to name a few of their issues. And yet, listen to how Paul begins his letter to the Corinthians. He says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4. He says this, I give thanks to my God always for you. I give thanks to my God always for you. Because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you are enriched in Him in all speech and knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed among you. Paul says, whenever I pray, I always give thanks to God for you. I'd be saying, guys, I'm hoping one day I might have the privilege of giving thanks to God for you. But that's not what Paul says. He says, I always give thanks to God for you. How on earth? How on earth could he always be thankful 
for this scrappy bunch of immature Christians. Verse 4. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. You see, Paul could see they had a genuine faith in Christ. And that because of their genuine faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit filled them and had given them everything they need and would carry them through to the end. You see, Paul had a true perspective because he could see that because of the gospel, God was at work. You know, Kevin Corley uh, says it so helpfully this way when describing this passage. He says, there's a tremendous lesson for us here as we speak the truth in love. There will always be plenty to be discouraged by in our culture, churches and families. We could easily fall into negative, pessimistic, critical attitudes. But because of our confidence in the faithfulness of God through Christ, we will always have abundant reason for hopeful gratitude. Well, here's a question I want you guys to reflect on as we come to the end of our time. As you think about those you know, here in our Jesus community who you're doing life with, you know, family members or people in your life group or other people in the church community, here's the question. Are you more aware of the power and presence of the grace of God or areas in need of change? Are you more aware of the power and presence of the grace of God or areas that need to change? It's so easy to be a fault finder. It's so easy to nitpick with others. But in sovereign grace, we want to be grace detectives. We want to constantly be looking with the eyes of faith for the evidence of grace at work in people's lives. Not because of wishful thinking and not to be fake, but as an expression of faith in the power and presence of God at work in the life of every single Christian. See, here's the truth. Our frustration with other Christians is nearly always more about us than, than about them. It's about our lack of a true perspective of God. It's about our struggle to trust with confidence in the faithfulness of God. It's about our struggle to really believe that He's present, powerful, and working. It's so often about our lack of a true perspective of self. You know, for me personally, it's often about my own personal short-term memory loss. I forget the thousands of ways I have struggled over the years, and yet the kindness of God to me. Well, the presence or absence of thankfulness in the life of a Christian is a wonderful diagnostic tool that is second to none in revealing the spiritual health of a person. Why is that? Well, because it reveals what you really believe about God. It reveals whether you really believe He's powerful, whether you really believe He's present, whether you really believe He's gracious whether you really believe he's wise and whether you really believe he's good. Because if all of those things are true, we have every cause to be thankful. See, when we look out at any community of believers, there really ought to be so much to be thankful for. Christ is present. Miraculous work of new birth has occurred in the life of every believer. 
There's an unstoppable work of grace present in each and every one of us. And so we just need to stop and invite God's help to help us to have a true perspective, not just of God, not just of ourselves, but others as well. Well, in closing, friends, we live in a culture that is kind of prone to complaint, to grumbling. We live in the age of entitlement where the luxuries of a previous generation today are an expectation. And when it comes to true thankfulness, even as Christians seem to be dismissive, oh, that's kind of cute. It's kind of quaint. Pop it on the list. But the truth is, thankfulness is of deep theological significance. There's possibly no quality that better displays our true spiritual state. The presence or absence of thankfulness reveals like nothing else what's it, what we really believe about God ourselves and others. See, thankfulness displays our perspective of God, whether we believe He's gracious and loving and kind and sovereign and always working for our good. Thankfulness displays our perspective of ourselves, whether we believe we were lost, spiritually dead, objects of wrath, saved by grace, daily receiving abundantly more than we deserve. And thankfulness displays our perspective of others, whether we believe those who trust in Christ are filled with the Holy Spirit who is working in them and who will finish what He started. Well, let's pray uh, together now that God will give us a true perspective that we might be truly thankful. Let's pray. Oh Lord, you're so kind to us. You're so good. I just want to thank you for your word this afternoon. Lord, you don't have to speak to us. You are under no obligation at all to us. We are the clay you are the potter. You owe us nothing in the world. And yet you love us. You speak to us. You have sent your son Christ to become one of us, to die in our place, to rescue us, and to adopt us into your family. Lord, we have every cause to be thankful. And I just pray for us this afternoon. Sovereign Grace Church Paramount as we're gathered here late in the afternoon on a Sunday, Lord. And I just pray for each one of us. Lord, would you cast our eyes to the Lord Jesus? even right now. Remind us afresh, Lord, that you are good and to be trusted. And help us now to take small steps towards trusting you in all things, believing that you are who you say you are, and making a decision each and every day as an expression of our faith by the power of your Holy Spirit to always decide to be truly thankful. Mm -hmm. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.